As we continue through our series of the heart of humility, we find ourselves in the third of four weeks talking about what it means to be transformed and impacted by the humility exemplified in Jesus that we strive to follow in our own lives. So the first week we talked about how sometimes we need to humble ourselves to set aside our own preferences, our own prejudices, our own ideas and knowledge about ourselves to listen to God's call for, for our involvement in his plan to share his love with others. And then last week we took, a look, we took a look at what it means to humble ourselves to be able to shut out the voices of the world and trust in God's voice, knowing that there's a right way to live, even in a world that feels like it's upside down. This week we're going to talk about what it means to grasp the humility that isn't afraid to look at oneself, to identify those things that, that get in the way of our witness of God's love toward others, and strive to put together a plan in order to combat those things, to combat those tendencies, and be transformed in such a way that in our everyday interactions, even in the times when we are totally justified to have a negative reaction to something, each of those possibilities is an opportunity to share God's love and His humility with others. So let's explore this idea of humility taking on vice together. What does it mean to actually look at myself in the mirror and to think, am I perfect in that way? Is there something I could work on in that corner of my life? And the corner we're going to talk about specifically today is the, the position we find ourselves in when someone has wronged us. When someone has done something to offend us or to hurt us or has taken advantage of us in some way, and it's an, it's an opportunity for us to be totally justified in a negative response toward them, revenge, defensiveness, reaction. But Jesus calls us to respond in a different way, in a more difficult way. But the response that Jesus leads us to creates the possibility that that person would interact with, would have contact with, would experience the love of God even when they've done something wrong. What a beautiful picture of mercy. What a beautiful picture of humble forgiveness. God walks with us in life, sees us as we commit our faults, our sins. We go against his way, and yet he continually offers us forgiveness. And today we're going to take a look at how we might listen to God's instruction, to hear Jesus' instruction and commentary on our lives, and follow his example in living humbly toward others. Let's listen to this reading from Luke chapter 6 and apply it to our own understanding of life. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money to those only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Rather, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Jesus lays out an instruction for us in these verses that on on the surface seems like almost an impossible task. But when we begin to take a slower look at what he's saying, we can begin to put together 
sort of a roadmap to help us learn the skill of being merciful and kind, even to those who are unthankful or wicked. So let's take a look at these first and last verses and understand how those set the tone for living the way that Jesus explains with those examples of when someone strikes you or when someone takes something from you or how we should treat others uh, with generosity. He says, uh, to you who are willing to listen, that is to, to his followers, to Christians, to those that believe in God's promises, right? If we're going to, if we're going to take God at his word that he is loving us, that he is forgiving us, that he's welcoming us into his kingdom, shouldn't we also take him at his word when he tells us how to change the way that we live? He is constantly working transformation in us through his spirit. And the spirit opens our eyes to these opportunities we have to live differently. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And then at the end, he says, love your enemies and do good to them. For your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So what does this compassionate life look like? What does it mean for us to be kind even toward unthankful people? What does it mean to not expect something in return when we have offered something of value? Whether it's material or, or, or immaterial, whether it's emotional or spiritual, sometimes in life we are called to be generous even to someone who's never going to appreciate the way that we treat them. But this gets really, really difficult for us because when someone has wronged us or we have something against somebody, the idea of forgiveness is hard enough, but then changing the way we act toward them becomes even more impossible. So how are we ever supposed to, to how are we ever supposed to become the kind of people who are able to treat those who have hurt us in a kind way? How are we supposed to become true children of the Most High, transformed by the ongoing work of the Spirit within us, when it's so hard for us to look at someone who has treated us wrongly and smile at them or think kind words about them? It's extremely difficult. It goes against the way that our sinful nature has corrupted our hearts. We are prone and we tend to always go after those that have hurt us, but Jesus is calling us to this different way. How does he do it? What is the roadmap that he lays out for us? Well, again, listen to those first two verses. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. I'd I'd like to kind of think of this as a, a picture of a tree. Okay, a tree that's bearing fruit. If the fruit of this tree is loving your enemies, then the branches and and the leaves are 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 doing good to those who hates you, right? When you do good, you produce the fruit of love. But in order to do good, you need to have a solid trunk. And that solid trunk is blessing those who curse you, right? Blessing them, asking God to, to pour out blessing and favor upon them. But before you can have a solid trunk, you need a system of roots, a foundation to that tree. And the roots of this transformed life that Jesus lays out for us is prayer for those who hurt you. So he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who, who, have, who have done something against you. Love, do good, bless, and pray. If that is the fruit and the branches and the leaves and the trunk and the root, how might we follow those in reverse order so that we too can become people who are bearing the fruit of loving those who have hurt us or loving our enemies? Let's think about that in reverse order, right? It starts at a place of prayer. 
Prayer is one of those things that you can do without necessarily needing to interact with somebody. Right? You can pray for someone, whether you've even ever met them or spoken to them after whatever offense occurred. Or maybe it's something they don't even know happened. Maybe it was an indirect offense and you're hurt by it. But prayer is a place where you can start without ever having to have an interaction with that person. Prayer is the place where it all begins. Our interactions with God, our Father. We want to become more like Him. We want to be transformed by Him. So we say in prayer, God, I don't know that I'm ready to forgive this person. I don't know that I'm ready to do good toward them. But I know that you're calling me to live a different life. Meet me in this prayer right now and help me to see how I might turn from wanting bad things to happen to them to begin to ask you to bless them for good things to happen to them, for things to go well for them. Lord, how can you transform me in this moment of prayer so that I might begin to start becoming that tree that's bearing the fruit of loving my enemies? It begins with prayer. And then the next step is blessing those who curse you. You've laid the foundation. You've been praying to God to transform your heart. And now you're, you're asking that he would enable you to start blessing those who curse you. We all know people who probably would want something bad to happen to us, right? We all know someone who, for whatever reason, has some issue with us and goes against whatever we're trying to do, and that creates a lot of conflict. And sometimes we probably all can have an easy time identifying when it's someone else's fault and it's not ours, right? When we've been wronged. And those people, it's hard for us to want good things to happen to. But when we've laid the foundation of prayer, that God would transform us through the ongoing work of His Spirit, through the through spending time in His Word, through worshiping with His people. We know that He can create the, the possibility in us for us to start asking Him to bless those people. And now this is another small step forward, right? We've, prayer is a place where there's no interaction. Blessing is a place where you're asking God to interact on your behalf in that person's life, right? So you're still kind of removed from this. You're, you're asking God to be that first step to show you the way in which you might also eventually be the one loving your neighbor. It starts with prayer and then it turns to blessing. How can you ask God to bless that person, to bless someone who has done something against you? And when you've, when you've gotten to the point where you're beginning to bless that person in your regular prayer, then the question is, how can you start to do good for them, right? If the, if the, if the, if the roots and the trunk are built, then how can we begin to construct these branches and these leaves that eventually will be bearing the fruit of love, right? Well, well, the next step is doing good to those who hurt you. And Jesus laid out that roadmap, right? Well, how do you do good to somebody? Well, if someone's asking you for money and you, you give them money, you give them generosity, and you don't expect something in return, you've done good to them, right? Because the contrast that Jesus paints a picture of is anybody, right? He says sinners. And for his immediate audience at the time, that would have been like um, people that don't live the way you do, people that just don't understand how, how things are supposed to go, people outside of a relationship with God, right? Bad people at all know how to give someone something in expecting a return, right? Or to, to lend with, with expecting a full return or interest paid to them as well, right? So he's like, we're not just trying to live a life that anybody can live. I'm calling you to a different way, a better way. But that better and, and different way is also quite difficult. So how do you do good to somebody who has done something bad to you? 
Well, Jesus says it starts with, again, prayer and blessing. And then this step of doing good is in your prayers, you say, God, lead me to the opportunity to serve that person, to do something good for them. Maybe it's a direct interaction where you uh, provide uh, food or you provide a support in a project at work or you provide encouragement at a difficult time throughout the day. You can do something good for that person. Or maybe maybe it's a group project of some kind and you you help out a little bit with what they're responsible for. How can you do good to somebody who has wronged you? Now, again, this isn't about the emotions and the motivation. We're trying to live a transformed life. And so you may have some, some reservations about doing good to somebody. You may have some, some negative thoughts toward them as you're trying to do that good. But God is calling us to live this transformed life. And he says, before you're going to love somebody, you've got to set that foundation of prayer. You've got to begin to bless. And then the opportunities to do good to them will be open to you. And as you do good to them, you build the habit of serving somebody, of doing good to them, of walking alongside them, of supporting them, of encouraging them. As you build that habit and you build that rhythm, the transformation within your heart, the spirit is going to be working in you to then begin to be loving your enemies. It's, it's incredible. Now, I want to tell you a story about, um, about a, a survivor of the Holocaust who, who lived this out. She uh, had survived living, uh, living at um, a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. It was uh, Ravensbrück. Corrie ten Boom was, was uh, captured for having hidden Jews in their house, and the Nazis put her in a concentration camp. And as she was there with her sister, her sister died in the concentration camp, and she, uh, she lived through that terrible, horrifying experience. And after the war was won, she had escaped, she was rescued, and she began to go on a speaking tour. Faith was a core element of her existence. She was going on speaking tours, telling people about how to forgive, what it means to move on. And she reflected on one of these experiences where she said, in Germany, people never responded very well to her talks. They, they would come in silence, they'd listen in silence, they'd leave in silence. I, I can't imagine the weight of what it was like to sit through a conversation about forgiveness after having been a German person in the time of World War II, in the time of Nazi occupation and, and concentration camps and the Holocaust. But this one time she was speaking in Germany and a man stepped forward after the, after the presentation and met her at the front of the room. And as soon as she saw him, she recognized in that person one of the guards that had been at the concentration camp she had spent so much time in. A, a, a person she could very well hold responsible for the death of her own sister. And this man had came up to the front of the room. He didn't recognize her. And he said, I, I know that I've done terrible things in life. I know that I've, I've been an absolutely terrible person, but I've, I've heard the good news of Jesus and I've trusted in his promise to forgive me. And I know that God forgives me. And yet I just, I, I am crying for the opportunity for a person against whom I've committed terrible things. Now, again, he didn't recognize her personally, but he knew that she was someone who had survived the concentration camp um, reality. And he had been someone who had been a guard at one. So in his mind, he's like, I just need to hear forgiveness from one of the people who I had done so much wrong against. Corey Ten Boom found herself in an extremely difficult position, looking into the eyes of someone who she knew personally was responsible for a lot of the suffering in her own life. And the ironic thing is she had just finished the speech on, on forgiveness. And yet she, she reflects in her journals and in her, in her articles reflecting on this whole thing. She's like, I didn't know whether I could forgive this man, but I knew the least I could do was to raise my hand when he had offered his in a handshake. And if I could just get my hand in a handshake with his, 
I just prayed that God would forgive him because I didn't know that I could do it myself. And yet somehow she, she mustered up the strength to shake the man's hand. And when their hands met and her, their eyes locked, she felt the forgiveness of God overwhelm her spirit. And, and she, she embraced the man who she was forgiving. And in that moment, she experienced the transformation that Jesus is talking about that can show love to an enemy. Now, you and I, we don't live in an extreme time like the Holocaust, at least in our immediate social context. Certainly, terrible things are happening all over the world, but we are wronged by people on a daily basis. And we are justified in our negative reaction to those things. But what does it mean for us to be transformed by Jesus by having the humility to say, even when I'm justified in my offense, even when I'm justified in my revenge, even when I'm justified in my defensiveness, how can I be transformed to be someone more like Jesus, whose humility exemplifies even loving an enemy, doing good to those who hurt you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who have harmed you. Again, think of that picture of the tree laying the foundation of the roots of prayer. Start there. And then begin to start to bless. Pray that God would act positively in the lives of that person that's hurt you. Then ask him to open up opportunities for you to do good to that person, to serve them, to encourage them, to support them. And then pray that the Spirit would finish his work in your heart, that you would begin to actually love the enemies that are in your life, loving the people that have oriented themselves against you, that you might become a witness of God's mercy and grace in their lives as well. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand and start to fall and all those lonely roads that I have traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground with the friends I had nowhere to be found I could see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the way, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment, where I've been, where I'm going, even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it, there was Jesus. This man who needs amazing kind of forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay. So I thank God every day There was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been, where I'm going even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it. There was Jesus on the mountains, 
in the vines there was trees in the shadows of the eyes there was Jesus Jesus. There was Jesus.